Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM at 1160 AM. Of course, there was big news recently that the Amazon Labor Union in New York had landed a surprising win. Uh, and it leads to a really interesting discussion in terms of how that happened and why this grassroots union was able to pull out a victory when a lot of the larger traditional union campaigns uh, have been less than successful of of recent date. Uh, Wells King is the research director at American Compass and joins us now with some great insight uh, in terms of what actually happened and what lessons there are in terms of what is best for employees and employers when it comes to labor. Uh, Wells, thanks for joining us today. Today. Thank you for having me. Uh, so give us a little lay of the land. Uh, a lot of people called this uh, David and Goliath kind of upset. Uh, give us your insight in terms of what happened and, and what it really means. Yeah, so two weeks ago, uh, a small, independent, worker-led union called the Amazon Labor Union uh, managed to organize uh, an Amazon warehouse in Staten Island. This was a shock, as you noted, to many people. Uh, just last spring, uh, of course, there was the failed drive in Bessemer, Alabama, at another Amazon warehouse. And that one was led by a big labor group that organized retailers and warehouses throughout the country. And so I think there was a, a sense with everybody that, look, if big labor couldn't organize workers in, in, in Alabama uh, at, for Amazon, could this small, independent, worker-led uh, drive manage to do so? Uh, and they did. And they managed to do so the same day that workers in Alabama voted a second time not to unionize their Amazon warehouse. Um, and so while all of sort of the talking heads were scratching their heads, uh, I think there were some you know, key key points and key advantages, actually, in being small, independent, crowdfunded and worker led uh, that proved to be real successes, at least for the for, for the purposes of organizing uh, in Staten Island. Yeah, and I, I love the way you frame that, crowdfunded and worker-led. And so it was much more of this local focus as opposed to the big national group. Uh, and obviously the the percentage of, of workers in unions has, has dropped. Uh, I think we're the lowest in, in decades for sure. Um, yeah. And isn't this idea, 
or, or is it the competing of well, if it's just a, a big labor national labor union, that's you know that feels more like the political challenges uh, as it does to having this local organized thing that feels a lot more intimate, personal, uh, and maybe better representation. Absolutely, uh, there's a sense, and we've found this in our research at American Compass, that what workers don't want is a big labor union that's represented in D.C., headquartered in D.C., and spends a lot of money on politics. In fact, when you ask workers um, who, who say they wouldn't want to unionize their workplace, the number one reason they cite for not wanting to do so is politics. But when you ask them what they do want, uh, it's to be represented by their fellow workers. Uh, by more than three to one, they say they want they, they, they want a fellow worker to represent them in negotiation and not a member from an outside group like an established union. Uh, and nearly two-thirds of them uh, say that a worker organization like a union should be funded by the workers themselves and not by an outside group. And so what it's clear that workers want is something that's small, that they have their hands on, that's actually responsive to local issues like workplace safety, health and safety conditions, and so on in the workplace, and not fixated on national politics in Washington, D.C., and that's not centrally controlled, where they actually have a state, they have a say, and they're funding it themselves. Yeah, it, it uh, reminds me a lot of uh, Sweden, where you can have unions that are very site and job specific. Uh, is that kind of a, a model? Is that a good idea for the, for the U.S.? How do you see that playing? I think the model that you see uh, in, 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 in parts of Scandinavia and parts of Europe would make a lot of sense for the U.S. I think for a few reasons. I mean, one, it's, 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 it's worker-focused and focused on actually providing support for workers. It's not concerned with sort of, you know, with social activism and political campaigns, funding elections, and so on. It's concerned with providing things like benefits and training for workers, things that workers actually want and say they want and want an organization to provide. It's also really stresses worker choice. They're essentially right to work countries that if you don't want to be a member of a union, you don't have to be. Um, and they don't have a union election to determine if you're a member of a union or not. You just sign up and join. Um, so there are a lot of advantages to this type of model. There's going to have to be a lot of legal reforms and policymakers are going to have to get involved for us to bring a similar model here to the United States. The labor laws that govern the system of organized labor we have here were crafted in the 1930s in the height of the Great Depression as part of the New Deal. They're woefully out of date. It's time for a change. Wow. That Yeah, definitely out of date. And uh, as you were describing what that Congress was going to have to act, I immediately had a vision of, uh, of an, armor, an army of lawyers and lobbyists <laughs> going in to make sure that we keep our policy in the 1930s uh, instead of the 2020s. Uh, and so I think it's an interesting challenge, and it will be a challenge, I think, uh, on that uh, federal level to, to get that kind of innovation that you're talking about. Uh, describe to us how you see it playing out. What do you see uh, as on the horizon? Uh, why, you know, is there a push more towards this kind of community almost led unionization? Uh, what does that look like moving forward? Yeah, well, the big question, I think, especially for Amazon, is what's going to happen at that Staten Island facility? You know, a lot of the coverage so far about this particular drive, there's been a lot of chatter about organizing new warehouses. And already the union saying they've been reached out to by dozens of workers at other facilities wanting to organize. I think what's really important for us to note and to note is that, uh, that, that organizing isn't what unions do. It's really just step zero to the real work that they do. And that's the work of representation, providing worker support and bargaining. And this is when you poll workers where they really want 
the resources to be devoted. And so I think at least in the coming months and even in the next couple of years, I think the question when it comes to this sort of worker focused local control uh, approach to organizing is how successful will this Amazon labor union in Staten Island be in representing workers at the world's largest retailer, one of the most powerful companies in the world. Um, the union is saying that they are, you know, leaning on some of the know-how and expertise and resources of big labor unions like the AFL-CIO, the Teamsters, uh, and the SEIU. So I think the question remains to be seen if this independent worker-led union can effectively represent these workers and if it can do so without selling out the big labor and losing its soul. Yeah, I, I agree. That is the uh, the big test is that can you do it and keep it local, community centric uh, and really delivering those service in terms of benefits and worker safety and those core issues uh, that I think all those workers care about uh, as opposed to dropping large sums of cash uh, for campaign contributions uh, to get people elected to Congress. Uh, great insight. Uh, Wells King, research director at American Compass, doing some wonderful research there. And this is an important one in terms of labor unions. Uh, big versus small. Uh, I'm liking where this small is going. I think that could be a, a really interesting thing to continue to track. Uh, Wells, thanks for joining us today. Great insight. Thanks for having me. Uh, some great stuff there uh, from Wells. I, I love that local approach because you have accountability. There's no big payroll. There's no uh, big offices in Washington and New York. Uh, it's a great way to get to what the people actually want and need and makes it much more independent. Really strong stuff there. We're going to step aside for one last commercial break. Last segment coming up on Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.